When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. Today we are in Nargothrond. Specifically, we are in the forge. This is the weapons forge. You can hear the sounds behind me of the swordsmiths here. They're working on fixing up a weapon. A very dark looking weapon. And it's coming along very nicely. So before we get into the main part of this episode, I thought it would be a good idea to go back for a moment We've gotten so many different names for Turin so far, and in this episode we're actually going to get a few more. So I thought it would be a, a good idea to review each of them so that we can keep them all in our mind. Because the changing of Turin's names in the story is kind of like an outline of the events of the story in and of itself. Which is pretty cool. So first we have we have his original name, Turin, and then we have Nathan the wronged. Remember when he accidentally ended up killing the elf? The one who was making fun of him in Doriath. He named himself the wronged. Nathan. We also know that he has gone by the name Gorthal. The Dreadhelm. And this is the first time that he took up a name based on an appearance the Dreadhelm. This was when he claimed lordship of Dor Kurthal. And it was because of the Dragonhelm of Dor Loman. Such a good name. Gorthal. We also have the name Agarwain, son of Umarth. Bloodstained, son of ill fate. And these are the names that he gave to the people of Nargothrond when he showed up and he didn't want them to know who he really was. And Findulas was actually very, uh, I don't know, per perceptive in this. <laughs> I mean, somebody walks in and says, my name is Bloodstained, son of ill fate. And you go, okay, that's not really your real name. But Findulas calls him out on it and says, well, I'm going to call you Thurin, the secret, which sounds a lot like Turin, but it's not. It's Thurin with a T-H. Because I doubt that that's your real name. And Findelus was right. And there are a few other names that we won't go over here because they will show up in this episode or, or they show up in the future. There is Turumbar, Master of Doom. He took this name when he was with the men of Brethil, which signified a time when he thought he had freedom from 
Morgoth's curse. And you can see with each of the names that they go through these phases. I mentioned this in the previous episode. These phases of him feeling wronged, feeling cursed, feeling like he needed to hide, and then coming out again. Being known by others. Whether it's Turumbar or Gorthal, the Dreadhelm. We're going to get some other names this episode. One is Mormagil. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Because this sword that they're working on right here, it's almost ready. And this sword, and Turin Turumbar, will change the fate of Nargothrond forever. So in the previous episode, Gwyndor has brought Turin to Nargothrond, a city that we know a lot about. This was the city that was founded by Finrod. It was a series of caves and caverns that he had come across, and little did he know that the dwarves had already been there and actually carved out parts of this location already. And then he brought more of his friends in, dwarves and elves in order to prepare the city and carve it out. And it was one of three secret locations. We have Doriath, which everybody knows where the forest of Doriath is, but not very many people can find their way into the forest. Then there's Gondolin, the city surrounded by mountains. And Morgoth has yet to figure out exactly where that is either. And then there's Nargothrond. Now, Nargothrond at this time is being managed or ruled over. Ruled over feels severe, but is in the control of Orodrith. Now, let's do, again, this episode is going to have some kind of cleanups and reminders and stuff. So, who is Orodrith again, and what is his relationship to these other elves that we know about? So, there's the House of Finarfin. Finarfin and Erwin have many children. Finrod, Angrod... Agnor, Galadriel. This was the city founded by Finrod. Finrod's brother, Angrod, is the father of Orodrith. So Orodrith is the nephew of Galadriel. So that helps kind of put this in perspective a little bit. Orodrith is also the cousin of Celebrion, who is the wife of Elrond. So you've got some significant connections here in Orodrith is a is an important character and remember Turin is welcome here and in fact Orodrith takes to Turin we're told that he grows high in favor with Orodrith and not just Orodrith the rest of the people of Nargothrond as well and well nigh all hearts were turned to him in Nargothrond and then we're given a glimpse of what he looks like. And this doesn't come up very much in this work. It says here, for he was young and only now reached his full manhood. So early twenties, finally, you know how it takes, it takes 
people a little while to really get in, even though they were the size of an adult to really be an adult is that is that sort of thing. But I think that it's actually meaning that like he has matured physically into a full sized man rather than being an old teenager. I don't know. I don't know the best way to phrase that, but he's full grown here and in his full grown body and the way he is perceived, he is stunning. It says, and he was in truth, the son of Morwen Elidwin to look upon. He looked like his mother, dark haired and pale skinned with gray eyes and his face more beautiful than any other among mortal men in the elder days. His speech and bearing were that of the ancient kingdom of Doriath. Remember, he was raised by Thingol. So he is a man who acts more like an elf. Where have we seen that before? Didn't people talk about Aragorn in a very similar way? And even among the elves, he might be taken for one from the great houses of the Noldor. Therefore, many called him Adanadel, the elf man. There's one of those names, right? Now, he was so beautiful and stunning to look upon. Pale skin, dark hair, very similar to the Noldor. And this this description doesn't sit here as a way to say, oh, look how beautiful Turin is all by itself. It has more meaning than that. You have to remember, he is in the place of the Noldor right now. This is one of the few locations in the world where the Noldor are still gathered and willing to defend themselves against the evil that is out there. And among these people, he looks similar to them, even though he isn't an elf. That's the point of this. He is a man who has very elf-like features, stature. He's tall, he's dark-haired, he's pale-skinned, but he also speaks and carries himself like an elf. And so that puts them at ease. This is very important for the way that he is brought into this culture and connects with them. It's not that they just thought, oh, this is an attractive guy who really knows how to wield a sword. He's like an action hero. Let's follow him. Let's let's go along with whatever he's, he tells us he's, we should be doing. Like That's not the case here. The case is that he is mysterious, but also feels like he fits in. And in order to help him out, they decide to reforge the black sword, Anglicel. The the smiths of Nargothrond know what they're doing. These are elven smiths. These are elven Noldorian smiths. And we're told that though ever black its edges shone with pale fire, and Turin names this Gorthang, Iron of Death. Awesome names. So good. So, along with the renaming of the sword and the reforging of the sword, we kind of have this moment where I think that this is supposed to be analogous for the reforging of Turin. He's in a safe place. He's been through some tragedy. He's... he's dealing with the accidental death of his best friend. But in this environment, he's brought back to health. He himself is reforged. So he picks up this reforged sword and he goes back out into the world in order to fight 
back the orcs, the things of evil out in the world. And then he comes back to Nargothrond and, and he, he starts doing this again. He starts working on the borders of the land. And the elves notice this. The elves that he fights along with like to hide in the trees. They've got this kind of guerrilla warfare thing going, but he's much more bold than they are. It says here, so great was his prowess and skill in warfare on the confines of the guarded plain. That is a location around Nargothrond that he himself became known as Mormagil, the black sword. And the elves said the Mormagil cannot be slain, save by mischance or an evil arrow from afar. He was building a name for himself. They were like this, this individual, whoever this is, because remember, they still don't have his real name is unique. He gets the job done when he is out and battling the orcs. He's in his elements. He's unstoppable except for mischance or an evil arrow from afar. We also are told that in order to keep him safe, they gave him another very special item. Dwarf mail. Yes, dwarf mail, not elven created mail. You would think, oh, maybe they're going to give him something like, I don't know, mithril or, or something like that. But we don't have mithril yet. And this is not anywhere near Moria. But they do have dwarves that still connect to and relate with the elves here. And so they give him dwarf made mail. It says to guard him. And in a grim mood, he found also in the armories, a dwarf mask, all gilded. And he put it on before battle and his enemies fled before his face. So not only is he hiding his name, he's also at least in times of war and battle hiding his face behind a dwarf mask. And you could just imagine in the rings of power, we got some really cool looking dwarf armored masks in like the, the guards of Moria and some of these other elves that we see in, in and around the environments. And I have to imagine it's something like that. It's probably made with like a terrible grimace. It's probably super ugly to behold, but it's the kind of thing that you use in order to scare your enemies. So you have to put this image all together. This very tall man who's stands stature wise among the size of the elves, but may muscularly be kind of wider set possibly than the elves are. The elves tended to be leaner. So a muscular young man who has just reached his prime dressed in dwarven mail with a hideous iron mask and a black sword. And when you see this guy coming at you and the orcs know the story at this point, they're hearing, Oh, the, the black sword is coming. Oh, it's the black sword. You know that they are jumping over each other to get out of the way <laughs> to avoid having to fight the black sword. It's quite the scene. And amidst all of the fame that he finds at this point in his, in his life, he's safe and he's gaining the trust of the people around him. Fendulas, remember Fendulas, Gwyndor, mentioned 
Findulis in the last episode. And Gwyndor, we, we, can, we can assume that she's the most beautiful to him. He has the thing for her. And yet Gwyndor is... He's aged. He's kind of broken. He's not the elf he used to be. And we're given this really strange line. We're told, Then the heart of Findulis was turned from Gwyndor, and against her will, her love was given to Turin. But Turin did not perceive what had befallen. And being torn in heart, Findulis became sorrowful, and she grew wan and silent. Now, let me say that again. Against her will, her love was turned to Turin. Against her will. The heart does what it wants. That's what this passage is about. This wasn't a, a situation where somebody was forcing her to marry Turin. Like, Orodrith comes along, and as, as the king of Nargothrond, he decides, you know what, Findulis, you're going to have to marry Turin, and Turin, you're going to have to marry... No, it's nothing like that. She finds that even though her mind says, Gwyndor is still a good man, he made a mistake, he's still a good man, he loves me, I should be with him, her heart no longer echoes that. It is turned to Turin. Have you ever been in a situation like that where your brain says, this is a great person, this person I should be with, They're, they're wonderful, they're good, they would be good for me, I would be good for them. And yet your heart doesn't feel it. That's the situation she's in. And she doesn't mean anything ill by this. And like it says here, it was against her will. She didn't choose this. She simply felt this way. And because of this, she and Gwyndor have a conversation that changes everything. So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Yuffie to begin with? Because this is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, time to welcome our new patrons to the Patreon, and we've got a number of you guys here. We're going to get through this list as quickly as I can. Welcome to Tyler M., Josh W., Torben L., Stephen D., Jared K., Dave S., Tyler B., AJ M., uh, Raul C., and Daniel O. Thank you so much to all of you guys for signing up. I hope you're enjoying the ad-free episodes if you're at tier one, the bonus episodes if you're at tier two or tier three. And speaking of tier three, our VIP patrons get shout outs every week. So big thanks to Bo, Brad S, Brandy D, Chewbacca, David M, Esoteric Rage, Goblin, Jesse P, Larry, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Sam B, Shannon L, Sheev Palpatine, and Tyler M. Thank you so much to all of you guys. And all 180 currently, 180 patrons. Thank you so, so very much and welcome. I hope you are enjoying all the extra content. We also have some reviews, but before we get to that, I'll just drop the link in and so you guys know where to go if you want to sign up on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash L-O-T-R Lorecast is the place. And if you leave us a five-star rating with a review on Apple Podcasts, I will do my best to read it out on a future episode of the show. And we've got a few of those as well. So here, let's get through them. All right, this one comes in from Canada from Rooftop Ninja 169. Tom does not simply make a good lore cast. He makes a great one. Just recently discovered this, so I'm still catching up. Uh, but so far, I have thoroughly enjoyed the engaging and digestible exposition of Tolkien's works. Awesome. Thank you, Ninja. Then we have one from Lord of Bagels. That's awesome. Now I want a bagel. Uh, just why Just why I needed. I don't know if this is supposed to be what. But it says why. Um, thank you, Lord of Bagels. This has quickly become one of my favorite podcasts. I've tried and failed many times to read the Silmarillion because I want to know the lore and background of my favorite fantasy series. And this is perfect. I have recommended it to all of my friends. And thanks to my buddy Gary for recommending this pod to me. Thanks, Gary. And hi. Hi, friends. And, and thanks, Lord Bagel Lord. Uh, appreciate it. Then we have one from Static. From the United States, who writes uh, five okay signs? <laughs> That's on top of five stars. I remember listening to the Robots Radio Mass Effect lorecast and hearing Tom mention he was starting a Lord of the Rings lorecast. I was interested, but never got around to checking it out. My wife and I started touring our annual viewings. Started. I'm sorry. So recently started our annual viewings. I don't know where touring came from of the extended Lord of the Rings movies. And that got me wanting to seek out this podcast. Finally at work, I operate a 10 wheeler plow truck. And as we've received mountains of snow this winter, I've been, I've had ample time behind the wheel day, night, and even holidays to listen to this podcast at work. Thank you for making my long hours much more bearable and even enjoyable. Also, please share some of that nice Florida weather, would you? Yeah, here, come, come get it. Come take it away. I'm done with the heat. <laughs> Bring us some snow. Tom's studied deep knowledge and upbeat delivery of the lore makes Tolkien's works easy to understand and enjoy for the most casual and devoted of Tolkien fans. 
Uh, can't recommend enough. You the man, Tom. You the man too, Static. If you are a man, I'm assuming, but I, maybe I'm wrong. I think you are, but if I'm wrong, correct me. Uh, and then we've got one from Balbo Baggins from Great Britain, who writes, one does not simply listen to one episode. This podcast gets me through some rough shifts at work. I've been looking for someone to make some sense out of the Silmarillion for years, and this podcast is just the ticket. Keep up the good work, robots. You seem like a genuine fan of Tolkien's work, and it shows big time. Also, I live about five minutes from where Tolkien lived at uh, Sarehole Mill in Birmingham. You can see the inspiration of the Shire all around here still. Oh, that sounds awesome. Can I come visit? Can I? What if I? That would be so weird if on a future episode I'm like, hey, guys, I went on a trip and I stayed with Balbo Baggins <laughs> and checked out the Shire. Oh, man, that'd be great. Uh, then we have. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Balbo. And then we have the last one. Munkicked in Great Britain, who writes one podcast to rule them all. I love this show, pure and simple. After struggling to read the Silmarillion and feeling left out, this show has helped and encouraged myself to pick it back up and get going. The host breaks everything down and retells it in an almost modern version without dumbing it down. An exceptional skill. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for the kind words. Everybody, thank you for all of that. I know this mid-break went a little extra long due to all these reviews, but I really do appreciate it. All right, let's move on with the rest of the show. So we get a conversation here between Gwyndor and Findulas. And I'm just going to read it. You can probably make some assumptions about Gwyndor's mood or maybe why he would say these things. But let's hear what the text says. But Gwyndor sat in dark thought. Immediately we're getting the tone of this. And on a time he spoke with Findulas saying, Daughter of the house of Finarfin, let no grief lie between us. For though Morgoth has laid my life in ruin, you still I love. Go whither love leads you, but beware. So he knows, he knows she's not returning his affection. And he knows where it's now pointed. Beware, it is not fitting for the Eldar children of Iluvatar should wed with the younger, nor is it wise, for they are brief and soon pass, to leave us in widowhood while the world lasts. This sounds like a lot of the words that we get. Think back to the movies. Think back to um, Elrond talking to Arwen and trying to dissuade her from that path, the same kind of path with the same kind of reasoning. These are words that have been said for ages of the world. It goes on. Neither will fate suffer it unless it be once or twice only for some high cause of doom that we do not perceive. So this is one of those moments where the characters say something beyond their own knowledge. This idea that like, this is generally a bad idea, but maybe fate suffers it once or twice, a few times for good reason. But this may not be one of those times, is basically what he's saying. It goes on and says, but this man is not barren, 
because they know the story story of Baron and Luthien at this point. A doom indeed lies on him, as seeing eyes may well read in him, but a dark doom. Enter not into it. And if you will, your love shall betray you to bitterness and death. For hearken to me, basically listen to me. Though he be indeed Agarwain, son of Umarth, his right name and right here he gives it away, is Turin, son of Hurin, whom Morgoth holds in Angband, and whose kin he has cursed. Doubt not the power of Morgoth Boglir. In this moment, Gwyndor is warning somebody he loves about the danger of her heart. But it is not Gwyndor's job to manage her heart. This is one of those difficult situations. He knows and has seen for himself that Turin is indeed cursed, or at least it seems that way. And that where Turin goes, death and sadness and these things follow. And so he feels the need because he loves her to warn her of this. But at the same time, is it his place to give away Turin's actual name, to reveal it without permission? Turin finds out. We're told that Findulas sat long in thought, and I would imagine she's sitting here going through her feelings, the warning, how this could work out or not work out. She's trying to play it all out in her mind. And she says, Turin, son of Hurin, loves me not, nor will. She realizes that she will not be the recipient of Turin's affection. Now, when Turin learnt of Findulas and what had passed, he was wrathful. This is directly from the text. Wrathful. And he said to Gwyndor, In love I hold you for rescue and safekeeping, but now you have done ill to me, friend, to betray my right name and call my doom upon me, for which I would lie hid. Gwyndor answered, The doom lies in yourself, not in your name. This is a passage that gives us a lot of insight. At the beginning of this episode, I started with the list of all the names and the Turin you know, the evolution from one name to another. And in this moment, we get a glimpse of why that might actually be the case. Yes, you can name yourself a thing because it matches more truly who you are in that moment. That happens in Tolkien's work all, all the time. But in this moment, we get a glimpse that Turin, and in using this name in this situation, is hiding from himself, but may have also been doing that in the other situations as well. He's hiding from his fate, from his doom, from the curse. And Gwyndor reminds him, the doom does not lie on your name. It lies on you. And then that's it. That's all we're told from that conversation. You know here in this moment that there's now a bit of a rift between the two of them. But word gets out. Oradrith finds out that this is Turin, son of Hurin. The passage here says, Then it, came, then it became known to Oradrith that the Mormagil 
was in truth the son of Hurin Thalion. He gave him great honor. And Turin became mighty among the people of Nargothar. This rose his station even more. In fact, his station was risen so high and his great deeds protecting Nargothrond, fighting the enemy, were so strong that Turin gets to redefine Nargothrond's place in the world and how they are engaging with the enemy. Listen to this. But he had no liking for their manner of warfare. This is from Turin's perspective of ambush and stealth and secret arrow. And he yearned for brave strokes and battle in the open. And his counsels weighed with the king ever the longer, the more. And in those days, the elves of Nargothrond forsook their secrecy and went openly to battle. Let me say that again. In those days, the elves of Nargothrond forsook their secrecy and went openly to battle. They gave up their standing as one of the secret elven nations in the world in order to fully face Morgoth in battle. This is a big deal. And in fact, they are so committed that other things happen here. And a great store of weapons were made. And by the council of Turin, the Noldor built a mighty bridge over the Narog from the doors of Felagund for the swifter passage of their arms. What is more revealing of your secret location than building a great and mighty bridge across a river? <laughs> Guess what? The city's in here, everybody. This is the front. This is where you get in and out. And they needed it in order for swifter passage of their arms. Arms meaning soldiers to march out into the world. And for now, this actually has a good effect. Then the servants of Angband were driven out of all the land between Narog and Syrian eastward and westward to the Nenning and the desolate Phallus. These are all locations we've talked about. This whole zone, this whole western side of the map starts to get cleaned up. All the little instances of Turin hiding in the woods and fighting off these the, the evil creatures from the top of a hill and these small little zones are all pieces of a larger area. And that larger area with the strength of Nargothron can now be policed and enforced and made safe. And though Gwyndor spoke ever against Turin in the council of the king, Gwyndor has continued pushing back against following Turin here, holding it in ill policy, he fell into dishonor and none heeded him. For his strength was small, and he was no longer forward in arms. Basically, they were watching Turin do amazing things out in the world, make actual progress against the problem of evil. And here, back in the safety of Nargothrond, Gwyndor would complain during council meetings and warn them that he really shouldn't follow this guy, even though their very eyes are seeing that he is very effective at accomplishing what they all know they need to try to accomplish. He may be wise in understanding Turin's curse and his doom, but their ears are not open to it. And then we're given this final paragraph. It says, Thus Nargothrond was revealed 
to the wrath and hatred of Morgoth. But still, at Turin's prayer, his true name was not spoken. For though the fame of his deeds came into Doriath, into the ears of Thingol, rumor spoke only of the black sword of Nargothrond. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time.